Well, two weeks ago, uh, <laughs> I got quite a response. <laughs> we talked about 1 Corinthians 6, just started into 7 uh, without going back through it. Uh, it talks about the importance of, it actually says that every other sin is outside the body except sexual sin, and that's actually, you know, inside the body. And it talks about the importance of, you know, remaining pure. And, you know, in our day and age, in this society, it's crazy because uh, it just seems like everything's okay, and yet God's word has a lot of truth to it. And so when I talk to young people, you know, that are, you know, kind of on the, on the brink or involved and everything, and what I, what I try to tell them is <laughs> I don't just say, well, this is what the word says. You know, I just say, let's look at it from a very honest perspective because when you hook up with somebody and you're dating them and you're wondering if this is the person, is this, is this Mrs. Wright or this Mr. Wright, the problem is when people get involved in a sexual relationship, it prevents them from really getting to know each other, from really getting to, to really find out whether that's really the plan God has. And so oftentimes it becomes the focus. And so it's interesting, you know, the Apostle Paul writes about this very clearly in 1 Corinthians 6. And then as we move into 7, I'm going to jump into 7. Let's pray first before we get into that. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you and praise you. I thank you for the, the, the brave people that brave the elements tonight. And uh, Father, I just pray that as we go into the Word, that this will really minister to people in a very practical way. I thank you for Paul and how the Apostle Paul, how practical he was and how he, he, he didn't just throw Scripture at people. He really tried to help them to understand the ways of God and to understand how to walk in the ways of God. And, uh, and so, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you. Your Holy Spirit helps to bring truth. And I ask you to just move tonight in a mighty way. In Jesus' said, in Jesus name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. And Jesus said. Oh, that's not right. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, I'll tell you what. I'm going to have, I'm going to, I don't know how many of you, how many of you do not have a Bible with you tonight? I, can, I just wondered. Uh, it, you probably don't want to raise your hand. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm just going to think if you don't, I'm, I can put the scripture up on the screen. So would you like to have the scripture on the screen? Yes or no? Yes. yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Even the ones with the Bible. One. Okay. So what I want you to do is uh, we're going to just start with, uh, we're going to run through 1 Corinthians 7. I got into that just really briefly last two weeks ago. And, uh, and then Brian spoke last week and he kind of went back into, uh, actually it was, uh, back into 1 Corinthians 6, further back than I had was. So this just follows right from where I was. So um, if you are in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick it up from verse 1. I'm in the NIV. Uh, now for the, matters, for the matters you wrote about, it is good. Now it's interesting. He's answering. They had some questions. And Paul is actually answering their practical questions. Sometimes in the church, we don't, we don't give people a chance to ask practical questions of where they live. We just, we're, we'll give them a whole lot of scripture and a lot of stuff, but they, we don't give them the opportunity to really uh, ask the questions that they really have on their heart. Well, obviously, the Corinthian church had some questions, and he said, now for the matters you wrote about. And he goes, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Uh, but since sexual immorality, remember we talked about the word sexual immorality, the word translated is pornea, and it actually means sexual intercourse. Uh, that's the, that's, if you look in Vine's word translation, the word pornea, that's what it means. It's the word we get pornography from, but it's not talking about that. It's talking about, it's actually talking about intercourse between a man and a woman. And it's also talking about homosexual uh, relations too, 
uh, which also was forbidden. And, uh, but it says, since her sexual morality is in, you know, occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. So in other words, what he's saying is within the marriage bonds, uh, sexual relationship is a great thing. And he had talked about just before this, and there's no chapter breaks and verses in the original letter he wrote, uh, but that's where they broke it. But he talked about the, you know, how, why it's really detrimental to be involved in, in, in that and how now he's talking about the positive aspects and he says the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And the wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband in the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his own wife. Now, what does that mean? It just means that God's called a husband and wife to love each other to the point where they lay down their life for each other and they give themselves each other. It's not about, I'm, I, I need to get, honey, I need to get my sexual needs met and you need to do what I say. No, that's not right. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's the idea of really giving yourself to that other person and, and not trying to get your needs met, but as you bless them, that's gonna fulfill you and that's gonna fulfill the relationship. So very important to see that. And then it goes on to say, um, in the same way, when I read that, do not deprive each other except perhaps for mutual consent for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Now, again, this is important because um, everyone has, you know, people have a sexual drive, that's obvious. And so he's warning here, he says, you know, don't deprive each other. And I know sometimes there'll be, you know, there'll be a squabble in a marriage and then one person will hold that back, what it says not to hold back, and they'll use it as a punishment, and that's wrong. And uh, you can never, you should never use that as a punishment. If you're upset, if you're angry, then deal with the anger, deal with the upsetness, you know, try to get communication. If you can't do it, uh, you know, talk to somebody that can help you, but, but, but don't, <laughs> Do not deprive each other. The reason is, it says, uh, it goes on to say, then come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So there's a very, a very practical reason why you don't do this, because it causes temptation. And, and so it's, it's very, very important to recognize this. Now, as we go on a little further, it goes on to say, um, let me see here. Um, okay, I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now, what does he mean when he says, I wish that you were as I am? Anybody want to guess? He was single. He was single at that time. Now, it's interesting that many theologians believe that he was married at one time. And the reason they believe that is because there's records that he was on the Sanhedrin. In order to be on the Sanhedrin, you had to be married. And so Paul, when he was Saul of Tarsus, uh, when he was, you know, uh, he, was, he studied under Gamaliel, he was really probably one of the most knowledgeable of the Old Testament and the, word, and the law of anybody. So when you understand that, now, though, he's gone through something, and many believe that when he became a believer, his wife left him. And... It's interesting, the passage we're going to look at, I believe it actually ties into some of his life very practically what happened in his life. And uh, you'll see this as we go on. Um, now, he says this, Now, to the unmarried and the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. 
But if you cannot control, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. So <laughs> what does that mean? Well, very simply, it means if a person has a sexual drive, then they shouldn't try to pretend they don't. And it's better than rather than go off and into areas that are, you know, that are detrimental to them uh, and to others. It's better if, if they marry. And so very, very clear. I mean, I don't think that's unclear. And then verse 10 goes on. It says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not, not, must not divorce his wife. Now, this is, I believe this is the optimum. This Paul's saying this is the best possible scenario. This is what, you know, what is best for a married couple to stay together. Do married couples have struggles? They obviously do. Uh, every married couple has struggles. Uh, I don't care how good they look on the surface. Everybody has struggles. Why? They come from two different backgrounds. Uh, they grew up in different homes. I know for my wife and I, her dad was a handyman. On Saturdays, he would have a honey-do list, and he would do a great thing. Well, when we got married, Yvonne thought, well, guess what, honey? It's Saturday, and there's some things that need to be done in the house. Well, I remember I tried to fix the toilet, and uh, I made such a mess of the toilet. When the plumber finally got there, he said, look, the next time you have a problem with the toilet, call me first because you have just messed this toilet up. It's going to cost you a lot more money now if you would just let me come. Now, I said, honey, you see, I'm all thumbs when it comes to trying to fix things around the house. And she's been very gracious. And she's actually better at fixing stuff than I am. But anyway, uh, I think that's why Paul says if you have the, some have the gift and some don't. I don't have the gift of fixing things. And, uh, and yet, you know, I mean, I'll still, I take out the garbage. I can do that. You know, that doesn't take a lot. <laughs> I've gotten really good at that. But anyway, the point is, what I want to say here is that it's really, really important to recognize that, you know, in a marriage, you know, you're learning how to really get along. And sometimes it takes time to do that. And uh, I really believe that God uses marriage to really hone a person and, and deal with their selfishness. Now, uh, let's go a little further. Um, he goes on to say this. Um, if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they're holy. Now, this is interesting. It says if two people are married, one is a believer and one is an unbeliever, that the children are sanctified through the believer. It says at all possible, the believer should remain in the marriage. I believe it's harder for two people who are not you know, are not equally yoked. For an unbeliever and a believer, to, when they're married, I believe that's harder than two believers. Why? Because they just have a different perspective. However, he's saying that they shouldn't leave because of that. You see, I believe in this letter, I believe some of them said, well, if I have an unbelieving wife or if I have a believing wife, is, is it okay for me to leave because they're not believers? He's saying, no, you shouldn't. In fact, your children will be blessed by the believing spouse. And then he goes on to say, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, I believe, I believe that, and, and there's other theologians that believe this. 
I believe that because of Paul's situation, when he became a believer in Jesus Christ, I believe that upset his wife. <laughs> and, you know, again, we don't know this for sure, but when he says this, and when she wanted to leave, he allowed her to leave. And it, it says, you know, because we're called to live in peace. Now, how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? No, another, another reason is hopefully that the, the believing spouse will help to bring the other spouse into salvation. Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Question mark. Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned them to, just as God called them. Now, we're shifting now. This is verse 17, and, and I'm moving fast here, but we're shifting to a new topic. He's now saying that, and this is probably another question they asked, because it seems like he's answering questions now, but some are saying, you know, well, uh, now that I've become a believer, uh, you know, do I change? And he's saying he thinks it's best that a person remains in the state that they're in. And in fact, he even goes in to talk about slaves, which you don't have now, but, but he, he goes on to say this. Um, this is a rule, the rule I lay down in all churches. Was a man circumcised when he was called? He should not become uncircumcised. Now, what does that mean? Well, what he's saying is that you should remain in the state that you were. Was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. Now, there's a reason for this, that that second part is, because there were Judaizers at the time, especially in the book of Galatians, he deals with this. There were Judaizers that came in and said, yeah, it's good to have Jesus in your life. You need Jesus to get saved, but you also need to keep the law. And if you're going to keep the law, that means, man, you're going to have to be circumcised if you're uncircumcised, because that's part of the law. That's part of keeping the law. And Paul's saying, no, that's not true. That, it, outer circumcision doesn't mean anything. In fact, he goes on to say, um, uh, was, he goes on to say this, circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing. In other words, that's an outward sign. It's not important. And this made the Judaizers really angry because the Judaizers said it's not enough to have Jesus. You've got to have Jesus, plus you've got to keep Torah. You've got to keep the law. And Paul was furious about this. In the book of Galatians, he deals with it in depth. And, uh, and he, he was upset about it. And if anybody knew the law, it was Paul. Keeping God's commands is what counts. Each person should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. In other words, uh, although if you can gain your freedom, do so. In other words, he's saying you can still serve God. You can still walk in the fullness no matter what condition you're in. For the one who was a slave was, when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. In other words, you're a free person even though you may be a slave. You may be in a situation right now where you feel like you're bound and you're, you know, it's hard for you. He wants you to know you can be free within that situation. You may have a job that you feel ball and chain that you're tied to. What Paul is saying, you can walk in the freedom that God's given you in the midst of that situation, no matter what situation you're in. And then he goes on to say this, similarly, the one who was free when called is, is Christ's slave. In other words, our freedom that we have is not a freedom to just do whatever we want. It's a freedom in Christ. It's a freedom through Christ. It's a freedom, and, and Paul oftentimes talks about being a bondservant of Jesus. What does that mean? Well, there's tremendous freedom in that. In my serving of Jesus, <laughs> that's, that's, that's basically, uh, I'm a slave to him. I'm a, I'm a servant to him. 
but there's great freedom and blessing in that. So it's, it's different than the world sees it. Um, you were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person, as, uh, as responsible to God, should remain in the situation they were when God called them. In other words, he's saying, you know, don't fret over this. Don't try to be something you're not. And uh, I think that's really important to recognize. And, and in our day and age, it's a little different. You know, we don't have slaves. But, uh, but the, point, the point is that you can serve God in whatever condition you are and not to strive to, to be something you're not. Uh, now, here's the part where he goes into talking about, um, about marriage and, and divorce and remarriage. And so... Uh, if you pick it up in verse 25. In fact, um, you can go ahead, you can take that, actually take that off the screen if you would for a second. And uh, I'm going to deal with a real controversial topic here because I want to talk about divorce and remarriage. This is, a, this is um, in fact, the, you can put the first, first slide up or the first one I, I had there. Uh, when is remarriage okay scripturally? And there's a lot of controversy over this. I just want to say that. But this is the question we're going to deal with because this passage deals with it. Uh, and so one of the nice things when we're going through Scripture like we are, uh, you, can't, you, know, you can't just preach your favorite topics. You've got, to kind of let the, you know, you've got to deal with the Word as it is. So I'm going to dive into this and uh, do the best I can. But uh, the first thing I want to talk about as we go into this, and uh, let me see, I think I've got, yeah, um, First of all, I'm going to shift over to Matthew 19, and we've got a, we've got a, we'll put it up on the screen. This is Jesus, and the Pharisees came to him, and, uh, and so, you know, they were saying, you know, Jesus, what about, you know, marriage and divorce, and, you know, didn't Moses give a, uh, you know, a certificate of divorce, say it was okay to give a certificate of divorce, and Jesus says, Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Now notice he's talking to the Pharisees. He's talking to old covenant people. At that time, the new covenant had not yet come into being. This is the old covenant. Now listen to what he says. He says, but it was not that way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. Now that's that word again. Remember sexual immorality? It means sexual intercourse. Uh, you know, it, it, they, the translators just use a vague topic, but when you look, you can look in Vine's Word Dictionary and you'll see it, uh, it makes it very clear. Except, so in other words, if, you know, and, and, you know, for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. And that applies to, to both men and women. So if there's a, somebody in the marriage who commits adultery uh, in, in that marriage, then he says, then that gives an okay for divorce. Because it's a breaking of the marriage covenant. Now, here's the key. Uh, and, you know, I've counseled people. I've counseled people that have, where one of, the, you know, one of the partners has been unfaithful. And I just want to say that the best is not to just leave. The best is to try to work through that. Now, it's very difficult because there has to be forgiveness from the, the person, you know, the faithful person to the, the person that was unfaithful. There has to be forgiveness, and that's not easy. And, it, and there has to be, trust has to be rebuilt in that relationship. It's a very difficult thing, but it, if that can happen, it's powerful. And I've seen couples make it, and I've seen couples not make it. And, uh, and oftentimes, 
there has to be a willingness from both parties to really work together to overcome this. If just one person wants it and the other person doesn't, then chances are it's not going to work out. And if the one person wants to go off with the, the person they were unfaithful with, then it's really hard. Or if the other person can't forgive that person, then it's very, very difficult for that to come to get back together. But, you know, the scripture, I want to give you another scripture. And by the way, um, put, that, put that back up again. I want to see the first thing that, that makes it okay uh, for, for divorce is fornication, which is, you know, sexual intercourse, so, or pornea as, as the Greek word. So that's number one. Now, here's, I want to show you the next scripture that I want to show you that's very key uh, in forgiveness, and it's 1 John 1, 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So the key here is that, <laughs> you see, under the new covenant, we have this ability to receive forgiveness from Jesus. And, you know, again, it's something that when we've done something wrong, a person has to own up to it. I was talking to somebody today, and, uh, you know, they have a friend who's struggling with alcoholism, but is in denial about it, won't come clean, won't deny. You know, if, if an alcoholic doesn't recognize they're an alcoholic, and they keep saying, well, I'm not really an alcoholic, I'm okay, they're not going to get help, and they're not going to be able to overcome that addiction. And so the first step, in the same way, if a person is involved in something immoral, if they don't come clean, you know, the only way you can really receive forgiveness is to become completely clean and repent of that and receive God's forgiveness. You can't really receive forgiveness unless you repent. Forgiveness without repentance doesn't really do much because it's just an outward thing of, yeah, you know, I, you know would you forgive me? But there isn't repentance in the heart. There's got to be repentance from the heart or it doesn't work. It's just a it's just kind of walking through something on the surface that doesn't work. And so, uh, very, very important. Forgiveness is so powerful, and that's the hardest thing uh, in a broken relationship. The hardest thing is for, uh, you know, a person to forgive the other person. And again, you know, um, in my own life, um, early in, in when I was young and, and my children were very young, uh, my wife got involved with another person, and... I waited a year and a half, I believe, for, that person, for her to come back, and, and she didn't. She went and married that person. I became a single parent. I had full custody of the kids. But in the midst of all this, it was very painful, and it was a tremendous struggle. And so, uh, you know, I, I remember just, you know, and just asking God to forgive me for anything I had done, but I hadn't really done anything outwardly, you know. Maybe I could have been a better husband in some ways. But, but anyway, the bottom line was, uh, you know, it was painful and def difficult. Uh, did I have the right, you know, and she was the one that divorced me, but, but the bottom line was, you know, I had a right to do it because of her unfaithfulness and, and the fact that she wouldn't deal with it and didn't want to. So, but that's okay. That's when you have to forgive that person and you have to move on. You got to forgive them or you get bitterness in your heart and that really messes you up and that prevents you from going on with your life. Now, the second thing is, is uh, the, and you can put up the next scripture, the next scripture, and, and you'll notice number two, the reason uh, a person can, you know, get divorced and remarried, or not, they don't have to get divorced if the person dies. And so this again, Jesus is speaking here, I mean not Jesus, this is Paul speaking in Romans 7, verses 1 through 3. Now just follow with me. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those 
who know the law. Now, who is he, who is he speaking to here? Anybody want to guess? What? Well, Pharisees, he's actually speaking to people under the Old Covenant. But Pharisees, yes, are included in that. But he's speaking to people under the Old Covenant who understand the law. And then he goes on to say that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then... If she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So that's the second condition. Now, um, I want to go a little further because in that passage, in the next three verses, he, Paul goes into it a little more depth. And he says this, So my brothers and sisters, this is verses 4 through 6, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you may belong to another, to him, Jesus, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we, were, we bore fruit, the fruit for death. But now, by dying to what was once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Now, in this way, the Apostle Paul makes a very strong distinction here, and, and he says it again in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, which I won't go there. He says, the law brings death, but the Spirit gives life. So in other words, what he's saying now, under the law, these were the conditions. This is the way it was under the law. Now, it's interesting. It's really interesting because, uh, in fact, you can put the, put the next, script, the next uh, slide up. Under the law, there were only two ways that you could, that, you could uh, that under the old covenant, you could, only be remar you could only remarry in two ways. Number one, if it was fornication. Number two was death of a spouse. Let me ask you this. When was the new covenant birthed? And let me ask another question. Wait, I'll ask it another way. Do, do, you, do you have a, a will? Now, some of you younger people, you don't have a will. But uh, those of you that, ha that have a will, and, and just pretend you had a will, even if you're young. If you have a will, when does, when does that will come into effect? When you die. Now, the old covenant was in effect until something happened. When did the old covenant, when did the new covenant come into effect? When Jesus died. Remember, if you look at Hebrews, I don't have time to go through all that scripture, but if you look at Hebrews, you'll find that he was the testator, he was called the testator. In other words, he had to die to cut the new covenant. So we could not come under a new covenant until Jesus died and then he resurrected from the dead. So his death was the signing of that new covenant. His blood, it was signed in blood. So the new covenant... It changed things. Now, it didn't change God, but it changed our relationship to him. Because now we had, a, we had Jesus, who was not only the author and the finisher of our faith, but he was the one that had literally, with his blood, he had cut that covenant for us. And it changed things. And you're going to see how it changed things very dramatically. And uh, so, having said that, let me just stop here for a minute. 
because I'm going to get into the new covenant and we're going to talk about that. But before we do, uh, before we do that, I want to pause because I just raced through that. I know I wanted to get to this more controversial area, but I wanted to talk about this. So any questions that you may have right now about what we talked about under the old covenant? Anything at all. And nothing is too silly or simple. Yes, Steve. Right, right. But it's interesting. It does say that, and Moses did say that. And so divorce was there, but, but from a strong pharisaical standpoint, it was not allowed unless those two, they were the two, two criteria. And so, yes, there were situations that, you know, Moses said, you, can, you know, and Jesus said, but the hardness of your heart. However, uh, the Pharisees were very strong on that point. And they, they said, no, you cannot marry unless the death of a spouse related. But you're right about there, there was that kind of the door was open a crack in, the Deuter, in Deuteronomy. But Right. Right. Yeah, it says you have to go back and marry the person you were married to. No. Yeah, I don't understand it either. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, there is a scripture that you know what? I didn't study that today, but there's a scripture back there that did say, and if I remember correctly, it said, you know, uh, you can't. Yeah, if that person divorced, you can't remarry. Yeah. But anyway, I want to get to the new covenant because fortunately we're not under the law, so we don't have to fully understand that. But, but that's good. But the Pharisees really, you have to understand, the Pharisees added, they added a lot to, to the actual law it's, itself. And the law was pretty extensive, but they added things, too, beyond that that you had to fulfill. And, uh, and so they were very, very strong about this. Now, and so this was at the time of Jesus. So uh, to go on from this, though, under the new covenant, you can put up under the new covenant. Under the new covenant, uh, Remarriage is okay under four categories. Number one, fornication. Number two, death of a spouse. Now, when I say this, I want you to understand that Paul makes it very clear that it's best for people not to be thinking about getting a divorce. It's best for them to marry and for them to make it work. But he also realized not in every case it's going to work. And then he goes on to say if an unbeliever leaves a marriage, which we talked about. Now, also, he even gives in, an, in the case of divorce that it's okay to remarry. Now, this is, I want to say this because this is very controversial. Uh, before, I went down and prayed and fasted on, on uh, let's see, Friday, Thursday and Friday. And uh, before I went, I know my, my computer won't work down there, so I printed out some things. I just was in a hurry, so I just went to divorce and remarriage, and I printed out some things. So this one website I printed out, it's christiananswers.net, and... Uh, it was really interesting because they were very, very firm that under no circumstances could a person remarry. Uh, now, <laughs> except for the old covenant standard. And, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. And, and then I was reading through, it was, it was a lot of pages, and I was reading through it, and I came to this part, and they were talking about, they said, uh, 
Yet by applying the principles of God's word, and I just tore, the, tore this off, uh, we understand that these people too must cease the practice of sin. And, uh, and then he says, this includes infant baptism, sprinkling, pouring for baptism, instruments, instrumental worship. <laughs> By the way, you guys were in sin tonight, uh, Paul. And <laughs> no, no instruments were allowed in worship. Now, let me tell you, uh, I don't know the background of this person uh, that wrote this, but I do know that there's churches that believe it's really wrong to use instruments in worship. Now, and the reason they say this is because they say you can't find anything in the New Testament, even though it's, the Old Testament is filled with, you know, all kinds of instruments. And, and, uh, and, but they said you can't find any, anything that mentions an instrument in the New Testament. And so they say that's sin. They also say, you know, infant baptism is sin. Uh, they go on to say, um, what is this? Um, uh, centralized church organizations is sin. Dancing is sin. As some of you are really in trouble. Uh, and then it goes on to say drug abuse, gambling, homosexual, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, but dancing is sin. Um, worship, instruments and worship. Anyway, what I realized is uh, this person is coming from a very legalistic background and a very, a very tight background. Now, here's what I want you to see, though. This is where you have to go to the Word. When we go to the Word, it's really what makes it clear. But, but I want you to know, um, I remember when I, you know, I told you I, for a year and a half, I believed for my wife to come back. I did everything possible. And then one day the Lord said, it's time to move on. And uh, you got to go forward. And I remember after that, I remember people coming to me and saying, well, you can't get remarried. You can't get remarried because that's sin. And so I just want to do what God wanted. And, uh, and so I began to press into the word. I said, I just want to know, God, is it really sinful for me to remarry? And they said, if you remarry, you're going to cause the other person to be an adulteress and, you know, and you can't remarry and everything. And I remember in particular, there was this one couple. Uh, I don't know if I can say their name. You think I should say their name or not? Is that sinful? Anyway, uh, this was 30-some years ago. We've been married 33 years in March. So, uh, so this was... Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Anyway, here's the deal, though. Here's what I'm trying to say. Uh, it was Mike and Marilyn Phillips, and they happened to be in the church we were attending, uh, and I had just met Yvonne. We, we weren't really dating or anything. We just, you know, anyway. So they said, they said, you cannot remarry. And I remember Mike Phillips, and they had a ministry. They had a marriage ministry, and they were so strong on this. I remember talking for four hours on the phone with Mike Phillips, and he was saying, you cannot do this. I said, look, you know, if, if it's against God's will, but I don't think it is. And so I said, okay, Lord, you've got to show me scripturally that it's okay for to remarry because I don't want to do anything against your will. And he was so strong. I mean, he just was convinced. And uh, so here's what happened. So uh, I really began to just seek the scripture. And the Lord brought me to the passage I'm going to take you to now. And this was the passage that really set me free. And I, I want to say something else. There are denominations today that believe no matter what the circumstances, if a person is divorced and remarries, that they're a second-class citizen. 
They can't serve as a pastor. They can't serve as an elder. They can't serve as a deacon. They can't really serve in any office in the church that they are basically a second-class citizen. And I have good news for you. God doesn't have any second-class citizens in his church. He does not have in the body of Christ. He doesn't. And the sad part is this legalistic attitude really has harmed a lot of people. They've gone through enough pain just going through a divorce, let alone have to hear Christians start to berate them and say, well, you can never get married again. Now, it's interesting. In this denomination, there was a denomination that I was looking at taking a church in until I found out that because I went through a divorce, no matter what the circumstances, that I could never be a pastor in this church. Now, here's, here's what the guy told me, kind of jokingly. He said, if you kill your wife, if you kill your wife, spend 20 years in prison, when you get out, you can be a pastor in our, in our church. I go, that is sick. Yeah, that was a real incentive. I said, that is so sick. I mean, so, so anyway, here's the scripture I want you to see. Um, you can put it up on the screen. I think, do we have it up or not? We do. Okay, now... You can look at it in the NIV. I just did this in the, in the it's the uh, Contemporary English Bible, and it kind of says it even a little clearer, even though it says it very clearly in the NIV or in the New King James. I think that was the one I saw it in at that time. It says, I don't have a command from the Lord about people who have never been married, but I'll give you my opinion as someone who you can trust because of the Lord's mercy. Now, this became scripture. So at the time when he wrote it, he was very humble, but this actually became scripture, so it is scripture. So I think this advice is good because of the present crisis. Stay as you are. If you're married, don't get a divorce. And the reason he said there was crisis, things were, a lot of persecution was going on at that time, and he says, if you're married, don't get a divorce. Good advice. If you're divorced, don't try to find a spouse. Good advice again. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Now, when I read that, it was a freedom that came upon me because I just wanted, to, I just wanted God's will. I wasn't trying to work anything out. And let me tell you, a person that divorces somebody in order to marry somebody else, that's totally wrong. That's sin. That's wrong. But, but it says, but, you know, if you're married, don't get her. If you are divorced, don't try to find a spouse. But if you do marry meaning the divorced person, if the divorced person marries, you haven't sinned. And then, just to really clarify this, he said, and if someone who hasn't been married gets married, they haven't sinned either. So he's, he's designated between the divorced person and the, the person that never married. You see the difference? And, so, and then he goes on to say, uh, but married people will have a hard time, and I'm trying to spare you that. And all the married people said... Amen. <laughs> and so, so <coughs> what Paul was trying to get people to do was to remain single so that they could really serve God. But he also said earlier, however, if, if you can't control yourself, then you need to marry. It's better to marry than to burn. So again, you know, uh, you know for me, it was better to marry than to burn. Amen. Okay, so, uh, honey, you didn't say amen that loud. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but here, here's the deal, though. Here's what I want you to see. Unfortunately, in the body of Christ, there's so much condemnation when somebody goes through struggles and goes through divorce. And no matter how hard they try maybe to stay in the marriage, there's so much condemnation, and there's even this thing that comes upon them that really drives them deeper. They're struggling as it is. And so I believe that the best, let me tell you, 
divorce is a very painful thing. My son, Mike, who's the pastor, he's the head pastor now, uh, was for many years, but he's the lead pastor, and you heard him say a few weeks ago the struggle he went through when, you know, his mother and I went, got divorced. It was a very, very, very hard time for him. So I got to tell you, uh, if, do everything you can to make your marriage work. However, if, if it doesn't work, if, you know, and, and, and it doesn't work, then, you know, it's important to know that there's, there's no condemnation. In fact, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And that's where the grace of God comes in. You know, legalism is really a horrible thing because it really denigrates the grace of God. It really moves us back into the old covenant. We have a new covenant. That new covenant doesn't give us a license to sin. In fact, the very opposite, it gives us the spirit of God who lives on the inside of us and really keeps us as a bulwark away from sin. And uh, I just want to encourage you in the midst of the struggles of life, you know, to not condemn others, to not, you know, feel condemned. Maybe you're doing fine in your marriage and then somebody else is struggling and then they go through a divorce. And the worst thing you can do is bring condemnation on that person. They're, they're hurting and the divorce itself brings incredible pain, incredible pain. So, you know, but the main thing is, too, that, you know, it's amazing to me that I don't know what it is. And I think sometimes maybe, I don't even want to say this, but I think sometimes Christians that are maybe in a difficult marriage feel like there shouldn't, you know, and they're trying to kind of, they, should, they feel like, well, there shouldn't be any out. You're, you know, it's, it, there just shouldn't ever be an out as far as if all hell breaks loose in that marriage where the person goes off and is unfaithful or whatever the circumstances, then that's, your, that's just your, your cross to bear. And I just want to tell you that's not the case. And so condemnation has to go. Thank you for Jesus and all he's done. He, doesn't, he frees us from the condemnation, the guilt, and the shame, but he also frees us to walk in the light as he's in the light. And as we walk in the light, that changes everything. Now, I'm going to let you go early tonight because I know it's supposed to start snowing. It stopped, but it's supposed to start snowing in about, well, soon. It's 8 o'clock on my app. It said 9 o'clock, but that could mean it in the next few minutes. But, so I'm not going to hold you tonight. But I do want to stop because I just talked about a very, very controversial area. You don't have to agree with me on this. This is what I came to see, what I, what I believe. Uh, I believe that uh, people who are well-meaning, who don't understand, like, that the person that wrote this, uh, all these pages, uh, you know, and believes that it's sin to have instruments in worship, and it's sin to, I mean, anyway, what I'm saying is tonight, it, you may have a different position than I do. That's okay. You don't have to agree with me. I do ask, though, that we need, to, we need to really love people. We need to walk in the love of Jesus Christ. And sometimes people will be so strong in what they believe that they don't represent Jesus very well. Christians, they'll be so strong in the way they handle things, they don't represent Jesus in the way that is his true nature. Jesus loved people. The woman was caught in adultery, if you remember, you know, he said, you were without sin, cast the first stone. And then he said, you know what? Where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more, but I don't condemn you. Jesus frees us by his grace to not walk in sin. Whereas the law actually gives, it gives strength to the flesh, as I, as I read in 1 Corinthians, I mean, uh, Romans 7. It actually gives strength to the flesh and causes us, it, it, it doesn't free us from sin, it causes us to sin more. You know, have you, ever, have you ever heard somebody say, no, I don't want you to think a bad thought. Well, what, what happens? 
You start thinking, your, your mind goes to thinking of all the bad thoughts. The law does that to you. Whereas Jesus comes and he frees us, and it's not that we want to sin. Now we don't want to do the things, and we see the light shows us what's destructive in our life, and we don't want to do those destructive things. So very, very important to walk in the freedom that Jesus has given us, not a freedom to sin, a freedom not to sin. And uh, very important, too, to recognize that there's no condemnation to those that have remarried. And uh, they've gone through enough struggle in the divorce they've gone through, and uh, so, or the divorces they've gone through, and uh, so they've experienced enough pain, and you don't have to add to that. So I'm going to stop, and I'm going to pray for you in just a minute, but before I do, uh, any questions at all? Uh, this is, uh, again, yes, okay, go ahead. Patrick. Well, it's really important to see this because if you don't see, if you don't see, see, you can't have, you couldn't have a new covenant until there was a shedding of blood. There had to be a cutting. You know, in the old covenant, that's how a covenant was done. There was a cutting of, in order to, to form a covenant, there always had to be a shedding of blood. So the new covenant could not be cut until Jesus Christ gave his life. And that's when the new covenant took effect. And then the church was birthed on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell. But the new covenant was actually birthed at his death. And so it's really important to see that. Then you'll understand scriptures prior to that, what things were said, were said under the new covenant. Now, there was, there was foreshadowing of the new. You know, when Jesus talked about in, in, you know, in the Beatitudes, there was foreshadowing of the new. But that was still, they were still under the old covenant. The new covenant hadn't been birthed. The body of Christ hadn't been birthed yet. Right. Mm -hmm. Again, there's a foreshadowing of the new, but that's still, that's still Old Covenant. That, and those people were Old Covenant people. And especially the Jews. He came to the Jews first. They were still under the Old Covenant. But it's very important to see that. And that helps to understand Scripture. Otherwise, I think that's why this guy, who meaning, well-meaning, uh, I think that's why he doesn't, he doesn't understand the difference between the Old and the New Covenant. He kind of lumps it together and just sees things in light of the Old Covenant. So does that help? Good. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Right. Well, the problem is the verses I just showed you, these last verses, that, that debunks that. Yeah, well, let me say, the best thing is to remain married. But if, if something happens where there's divorce, it, does, it says if you marry, it's not you haven't sinned. Well, you can. Can you put that up again, that scripture? 
Yeah. Well, here's what he says. I, you, 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 you take it how you take it. Uh, he goes, if you're divorced, don't try to find a spouse. If you do marry, though, you haven't sinned. So in other words, he's saying, you know, don't try to go out and find a spouse. But if you do, you haven't sinned. That's talking to the divorced person. And to back it up, he says, if someone who hasn't been married gets married, they haven't sinned either. You know, so... But anyway, but married people will have a hard time, he says, and I'm trying to spare you that. Anyway, I get a kick out of that because uh, <laughs> he's funny. Because obviously, but, but uh, so the bottom line is that if you, want, if you went through a divorce and you wanted to remain unmarried, that's fine. But if you happen to marry, you haven't sinned. That's what, that's what Paul said. You get it? Okay. Well, you can, you can meditate on it. Well, you, you shouldn't separate from your spouse to marry somebody else. That's what he's saying. It's wrong to, to divorce somebody to marry somebody else. That's wrong. That's sin. Well, that's, he's saying, though, if you, if you end up divorced, he says not. Okay, I don't want to belabor this because I want to get people on the road here in a minute so, so they don't have problems. Any other questions? Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And what what is it? Malachi. Okay. God hates divorce. He does. Right, right, right. Yeah, it doesn't give us a license to sin. I totally agree. Yes, it does. It is, it is very easy in our day and age. Yes. Right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Let me say this. Not only does God hate divorce, I think anybody that goes through a divorce hates the divorce. You know, it's a very painful experience, and it's, it's, it's a very difficult thing to go through. So, you know, it, it's a difficult thing, but that person isn't condemned to a life, you know, because, because they went through a divorce, it doesn't mean they're condemned for the rest of their life, you know, and that they can move on with their life. And I think that's important to see. That's where the grace of God comes in, which was not available under the Old Covenant because Jesus hadn't died. He hadn't given his life, and there wasn't the grace. When you read through the Old, you know, it's amazing. I minister a lot to Muslims, and I'll be going to Pakistan again the end of this month, and I'll be there for, with Leif Hetland. Leif Hetland will be here at the conference, but uh, we go every year, and we'll be going again, and 
you know, I minister a lot of Muslims, and I realize there's, it's amazing. Muslims and Jews don't like each other very much, and yet it's amazing how they're both ex- very, very legalistic. Now, a lot of the Jews that we know, they're just secular Jews. They're not, they're not religious Jews, but religious Jews, like the Hasidic Jews or, you know, and, the, and the strong Muslims, they have a lot in common. They don't eat pork. They don't, I mean, they have, it's amazing how similar uh, they recognize Abraham. They, they have a lot of similarities, but they're very legalistic. There's not a lot of grace in Islam. There's not a lot of grace in, you know, in strict Judaism. There, there's just not. And so that's why it's really amazing how as believers in Jesus, we have, we have access to the grace of God. Not as a license to sin, but as a freedom that it brings us and brings us into a relationship with God in a way that only Jesus could do that by his death and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we come into a relationship with him that changes everything. Whereas they're trying to fulfill the rules and the laws, we walk in this relationship which is so much deeper and goes so much deeper, it goes beyond just the law. And again, sure, to kill or to steal, all that stuff is wrong, obviously. Jesus wasn't giving, saying that was okay at all. And it's not okay under the new covenant. However, there is grace in, in the area, and as we're talking about in, in, in marriage. So hopefully that helps. Okay, I'll take one more, and then i got to let you go because uh, I don't want you to get caught in bad weather here. Uh, anybody else? Okay, I want to pray for you. And uh, again, let me make it clear in closing that marriage is God's, it was God's idea. And God's in it, God's for it, and he'll do everything he can to make it work. But sometimes marriages don't work for whatever reason. And, you know, and if you're a victim of that or you, if you end up in that kind of situation uh, or even if you've made a mistake and caused a divorce, you can get forgiven. You can repent. You can receive that forgiveness and move on in your life. You know, we have to understand that, you know, Paul said, forgetting what is past, I press toward the mark of the high calling. He says that in, in Philippians 3. Uh, God does not want your past to define your future. He wants Jesus and him to define your future as you walk with him. So let me pray for you. Father, I really thank you for each person here tonight. I thank you for just the love you have for them. I thank you for them willing to risk the elements tonight. And I pray, Lord, as they go, you will just really work in them an understanding of your love, of your grace, of your mercy. And Lord, help us to be a light to those that are struggling. Help us to, to walk in love to those that are struggling. Help us not to, to put condemnation on them, but to help them to walk in the fullness of what you have for them. Lord, there's all, always consequences to the difficulties and the things that happen in our life. There's consequences to that. It's not, it's not that those consequences disappear. It's just that you give us hope for the future, that difficult past does not define our future. And I thank you for that, Father, and I ask you to just bless each person tonight. I ask for supernatural protection as people leave this place. I ask you for your angels to be in charge over them, lest they dash their car against the stone. So, Father, lead them carefully home and bless them in Jesus' name. God bless you. I love you all.